Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And there was a lot to say about this first half of verse 4. In this message, I'm going to move forward into the other half of verse 4, where it says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And there is a lot to say about this as well, because this verse is used quite often in order to support a definition of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to have a relationship with God, how he relates to us, and how we are expected to relate to him. This verse is one of many that is used in order to assert a certain way of life that is defined as the Christian life. Now, I will tell you in advance that I do not agree that this is what it means to be a Christian or that this is the Christian life. I will give an explanation of what is the most popular point of view, and I think you'll recognize it quickly. But I want you to understand that I do have a different point of view, that the way that I read this and the way that I understand the Christian life and our relationship with God is to be defined, is different. And I will spend some time talking about that towards the end of this message. But to begin with, let's look at the other half of verse 4, where it says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What this means for most people is that the Christian life is about being holy, that you don't sin. That's why he chose you if we were to interpret verse 4 in this context, he chose you so that you should be holy. And there are many different variations that can be defined from there. For example, we could say that he chose you to try and be holy. You know, you should be holy. Let's see if you can do it. And if you don't, well, he's just going to choose otherwise, and you're not going to be one of his chosen anymore. There are people who take that point of view. And then there are others who will take the position that God has chosen you so that you should be holy, and that eventually, in some way, he's going to overcome your will. He's going to change your person to such an extent that you will be holy, because he has chosen you to be holy. And this is convenient for a lot of people who never admit that they ever do anything wrong. This is quite convenient because they can just assert themselves as being the person who God chose to be holy. So, of course, everything about them is now holy. And if you don't see it, if you don't understand it, if you don't want to participate in this denial of reality, well, then there's something wrong with you. There's not anything wrong with them because they were chosen by God that they should be holy. And so... Of course, by default, God is going to make this work. 
This is another point of view that some people take, but most people will tend to take the point of view that God has chosen us so that we will have the opportunity to give it a good try, and that even though we won't necessarily become perfect, we won't do it perfectly, we won't be absolutely holy, well, he's still chosen us, and so in the end, there will be a way to kind of make it work. This tends to be the most popular point of view, and it is the most popular because it accommodates the most number of people. Most people will be able to fit into that kind of definition of Christianity because they're not going to fit in very well with the idea that we're just going to be in denial of reality. And they don't want to fit into the category of, well, you better get it right or God is going to unchoose you. And so there are other beliefs that will appeal to a greater number of people. And this is why it has a higher popularity. Why it is that most people within the Christian world will embrace a certain religious point of view. And then, of course, what happens is that There are people who will assume that it is the most valid because it is the most popular, not recognizing that that's not necessarily going to be the case. You may be making the assumption that people in general are looking to live by the truth. And so if you can find more people believing a certain philosophical or theological point of view, well, then that must have more truth in it. And that just simply is not the case. What people are usually looking for is something that they can believe or participate in that makes them feel the most comfortable. Those who have a greater interest in the truth can still be persuaded by that which feels the most comfortable, especially when what they believe is true may have some distortions in it. All right, and so most of the people in the world have embraced throughout the history of Christianity, have embraced the idea that the reason why you become a Christian is so that you will learn how to be holy. Again, at the end of verse 4, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, I, of course, think it's a good thing if a person reduces the sin in their life, if a person is more holy than they once were. I think that's a good thing, and I don't want to discourage people making decisions that will reduce the sin in their lives, that will increase their sense of holiness. I don't want to discourage that. What I want to do is I want to identify what is true, because a person can pursue this belief easily. They can pursue this belief that to be a Christian means that you are going to be holy, and they can pursue that with an enormous amount of enthusiasm and conviction and sincerity. But is it going to work? Is it going to happen? And of course, the more honest a person is with themselves, the more likely they will eventually come to the end of this pursuit and admit and confess that they cannot achieve the holiness that they are trying to achieve. Now, again, a lot of congregations will handle this by just simply saying, well, of course you won't be able to do it, but we must try. We must get as close to it as we possibly can. So that's what the Christian life becomes. It becomes a life of trying to live in a way that you never will, 
but you try to get as close to it as possible. Because we should be holy, and so we need to get into that. And yet, the more that a person gets into that, if they are going to acknowledge the truth of their failure more and more, and if their failure is something that they focus on, of course, more and more, because there will always be something that they will fail at, there will always be some sin in a person's life, the more that a person pursues holiness then the more they will eventually come to the recognition that God is disgusted with them, that God does not like them, that he is embarrassed by them. And of course, the degree by which a person feels this kind of rejection from God will be based on the degree by which they acknowledge the truth of their failure to obtain holiness. And so everybody will tend to find some way to navigate through this and eventually come to some form of equilibrium in their pursuit of holiness so that they can have a sense of comfort. And this becomes an individual experience. You have to take each person individually to identify what is their point of equilibrium of their pursuit of trying to be holy, because, of course, they should be holy. What is the equilibrium to the degree that they can feel some sense of reconciliation, some sense of comfort? What is the equilibrium between their holiness and the lack thereof so that they can stick with the faith and continue to be a Christian at all? Because there are a lot of people who walk away from the faith as they get sick and tired of trying to live a life that they can't. And they get sick and tired of being relentlessly reminded in various ways that God is disgusted with them. And then it's not unusual for me to encounter these people years later as they still have a desire to know their God and they come across the teachings that I have presented. They come across the recordings that I have made available for free and they consider them and they realize that there really can be another way of life, another way of defining the Christian life besides the pursuit of holiness, which means the restraint of our flesh. You see, in general, what people are thinking is that you either live for the indulgence of the flesh or you live for the restraint of the flesh. That those are the two options. You either indulge your flesh or you restrain your flesh. And of course, if a person decides to live for the indulgence of the flesh, then we call them a sinful, wicked, evil person who does not know God, and they are of the world. And then if a person lives for the restraint of their flesh, well, then they are a Christian. That's how people usually look at it. And there tends to be this competition between the world and the Christian in terms of are we going to indulge our flesh or are we going to restrain our flesh? And then, of course, each group compares one another with each other by saying things like, well, you know, for the Christian, they look at the people in the world and they say, you see those rotten, evil, wicked people who are not holy at all? Well, we are not like them, and so we are holy. And then you have the people in the world who compare themselves with the Christians and say, you know, those hypocritical, wicked, evil Christians who pretend to be holy... Well, we're at least more honest about our lives and about ourselves. At least we live in reality more than they do because they sin just like everybody else does. 
And so there is this comparison between the two groups and this supposed theological or philosophical competition between the two, thinking that this is how we define the Christian life or we define life in the world. But that is not the only way to live. Hopefully you would notice that when I talked about either the indulgence of the flesh or the restraint of the flesh, that either way, you're living by the flesh. Again, if you live for either the indulgence of the flesh or the restraint of the flesh, you are still living by the flesh. There is another way of life living by the Spirit that has nothing to do with the flesh, except perhaps, of course, that there will most likely be a reduction of sin, but that is a side effect or a consequence is just a byproduct of the relationship that a person is to have with their God in the Spirit. But this is relatively unknown in the Christian world. For the most part, the Christian world is devoted to the flesh, to the restraint of the flesh, but they're still devoted to the flesh. It's not unusual for me to have conversations with other pastors, and I will ask them, if we were to have a new believer in Christ Jesus, when we have a new person who comes to faith, what do you think we should start with in terms of discipleship? How should we really begin discipling? What are some of the most important topics that you think we should start with when discipling a new believer? This is a common question that I ask a pastor whenever I have a conversation with them. And in general, the answer is just about always holiness. Holiness of some kind, either, well, we got to get them tithing first off. We've just got to do that. That happens a lot. I get a lot of answers like that. But that still kind of fits in the category of holiness. They will say things like, well, we need to do an inventory of their life and see what they're doing in their life and identify those sins that we think we can fix right away. And we need to tell them to stop doing certain things and we got to get them doing other things that they should be doing. It's still the idea of holiness and it's still the idea of what are we going to do about their flesh? It's still the same thing. And there have been many others who have been very direct and they have said, we need to teach them how to be holy. That is what it means to be a Christian. We need to start off with that right away and just get them into holiness. And a verse like this can be used in order to support that point of view. Now, when doing this in general, you have to give somebody some kind of incentive, you know. And so why? Why are they going to do that? And this will just depend on the church and the leadership of the church. It'll depend on the pastor in terms of how he's going to present the incentive to the new Christian to get holy, you know, to do the holy thing and to be holy. What are going to be the incentives? And in many ways, this is what defines the sermons that they present. The teachings that they present is that they believe that their role in everybody's life is to explain how to be holy, to explain the incentives to be holy. You know, and if you listen to their sermons a lot, you will find that every time they present a message, 
they look for those little opportunities or some big ones sometimes, but it's like every time they speak, they have to throw in there something about, now you guys don't be doing this, and make sure you're doing this, you know, and remember, we're here to be holy, and you have to be holy, and get the sin out of your life, and if this is going on in your life, well, we're going to fix it this way, we're going to fix it that way, you know, it's just all about the flesh, all about the flesh, and you know, some people will say as an incentive, they will say, just do it, just do the right things, stop doing the wrong things, and eventually, you'll learn to like it, you'll see that it works out pretty good, you know, you just do the right thing, and everything in your life will work out just fine. Just get into it, and if things are not working out well, don't worry, come to my office, and we'll try to take an inventory of your life and figure out, well, what could it be, you know, what could it be that we need to get under control? That tends to be the relationship between the pastor and the people, is that the pastor is there in order to try to figure out and help people identify what are the little sins in their lives that are keeping them from experiencing a peaceful, joyful Christian life of holiness. And so that tends to be the general incentive is because you're going to learn to like it. If that isn't good enough, well, don't worry. We got some more. If you don't get holy enough, well, then God is going to find a way to punish you. Yes, he will. He will intervene in your life and he will hurt you. He will find some way to cause pain and suffering in your life if you don't get holy. Now, of course, some people can be over-intimidated by that, and so they'll lighten it up a little bit and say things like, well, you're going to miss out on blessings. You know, he's not necessarily going to punish you, but he's not necessarily going to bless you either. And so you're going to miss out on blessings if you're not holy enough. You know, this holy enough thing is a denial of the holiness of God, which demands absolute perfection. But still, it's an incentive to try to get people to get their flesh under control. Well, he may not punish you outright, but he won't necessarily bless you. Or, you know, you're going to get an opportunity to be rewarded. God will reward you. Not only will you learn to like this Christian life, but he'll find a way to reward you. And, you know, if he doesn't do it right away, don't worry. He will do it eventually. It will happen at some point. And if you die before he rewards you, well, then that's what going to heaven is about. It's about going to heaven to get your heavenly rewards so that you can go and collect on all the debts that God owes you because of your holiness. These are the kinds of things that get presented all the time In a variety of different churches, you know, you just pick the church that gives you these messages that you have a preference for. Do you want a God who's looking for ways to punish you? Do you want a God who's looking for ways to reward you? Are you looking for some blessings? You know, it just depends on the church. And what will be the definition of holiness? Well, this depends on the church. What definition of holiness is going to be something that you think you'll be able to fulfill well enough? That's how you pick your church. You pick your church according to what are the expectations, what are the standards, what are the laws that people are going to live by in order to declare that they are a good Christian. And that's what this becomes. It becomes a system of law. Repent and obey 
and these are the laws. And whether they are explicit or implicit, it doesn't matter. It's still the same thing as living by the law. Of course, it will never be described this way, so you have to look for it yourself, and you have to understand what it is that I'm referring to when I say that in general, the Christian world is all about living by the law. That you should be holy means that you should live by the law. That's what it means to be a Christian. You have become a Christian so that you can be holy and you can be blameless before him in law. Before him in law. That's what all of this comes down to. It all comes down to the simple definition of to be a Christian means that you live by the law so that you can be holy before your God. But that's not what it says here in verse 4. It says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. It doesn't say that you should be holy and without blame before him in law. It says in love. Well, that's okay. There's another way that a person can handle this. They can say, well, then you're going to be holy because, of course, you love God. You know, if you love him, keep his commandments. Oh, well, no, not at this church. We don't want to say commandments in this church. In this case, keep the principles of what it means to be a Christian or make sure that you just simply don't engage in these sins that we talk about a lot, then that is your way of showing that you love God. But that's not the reality of life. People sin. People fail. No one is going to be able to fulfill these requirements to any standard that anyone defines. And so the end result is going to be that a person will be confronted with the truth that they obviously do not love God. And this is an important thing for everyone to get in touch with, especially if they want to know the Lord. You must get in touch with the fact that if you are going to declare that you love God through your repentance and your obedience, then you're never going to be able to do it. Never well enough never to the standard of perfection or holiness. Your continual pursuit of that will be a continual reminder to you that you don't love God. And this, of course, is an important lesson for everybody to learn. Everyone must come to the recognition that if you're going to love God, it's going to be through some other means, through some other way that has nothing to do with your repentance and obedience. Because if it does, well, then you're just going to have to eventually come to the conclusion that you simply do not Love God. And if you don't ever reach that conclusion, then it's only because you are not sincere enough. You are not committed enough to these beliefs that you seem to want to hold on to. You don't really believe these things. You're just pretending to believe this because this is the end result of all pursuits of the restraint of the flesh, all pursuits of trying to obtain holiness, all pursuits of living a life for the restraint of the flesh. There is another way of life of living by the Spirit, and I will speak about this more in the next program. 
You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,